Welcome to the Rhythms Podcast. I'm Brian Wise, editor of the magazine. Shortly, I'll be joined by Stuart Coop, renowned music writer and broadcaster. We'll talk about a few issues and some new releases, and then we'll talk to Juanita, Australia's self-crowned queen of honky-tonk. She'll be joining us to talk about the documentary, I'm Juanita, which is showing at the Melbourne International Film Festival and other film festivals around Australia. It showed at Canada's Hot Docs Film Festival, and it tells the story of her visit to Nashville, to record her album I Am Juanita and it was directed by Matthew Walker and I should warn you there is some strong language in our interview but let's talk to Stuart Coop and then we'll have a chat to Juanita. I was going to say on the line but uh, on Zoom from Sydney in lockdown Stuart Coop I'm Brian Wise I'm in Melbourne in lockdown how are you Stuart? Well Brian given the circumstances uh, I'm I'm doing okay but uh, I don't think I'm going to be seeing you in the flesh anytime soon uh, or vice versa I think we're um, particularly for those of us in Sydney with uh, with a huge number of cases today and uh, predictions that we're nowhere near the uh, the peak of it I think uh, it's it's starting to look like you know a, a lockdown Christmas for people in New South Wales and and obviously it was a, a week where we've seen the uh, the announcement that Blues Fest has definitely moved to Easter of 2022, and uh, I think uh, it would be a brave person who's booking any gigs or any festivals between now and at least the end of the year. And even worse than that, we may not have the grand final for the AFL in Melbourne again this year. So what, what could be worse? Well, yes, and I mean, you wonder, I mean, with all due respects to our wonderful friends in Queensland but um, and our wonderful friends in Western Australia, Brian, but um, the, the prediction appears to be that if uh, if it's not played in Melbourne, uh, that it will be in, in Perth yeah. uh, this year. So, um, well, share it around, I say. Stuart, I was going to uh, say, how do musicians, you, you, you're in touch with the music industry on many levels. How would musicians be dealing with this? Because I was thinking last year, at least they could apply for JobKeeper. But what would musicians be doing? Can they get something from Centrelink? Because most of them have, well, all of them have had to cancel gigs and reschedule tours and that. How would they possibly be making any money and to survive? Oh, look, I, I think that's, that is the uh, big issue, you know, for musicians and, and technical crew Brian uh, and look you know over these most recent lockdowns uh, you know it's it's been uh, it's been terrible i mean i've i've noticed for i mean everyone's been pretty down about it you know through 2020 there was a very much a feeling that 2021 was going to be better and everything you know it was all behind us and we were going to get back to live performance and being able to sell merch and CDs and and vinyl at gigs uh, but with these current lockdowns i i've really noticed a, a desperate despondency amongst the music community and I work with a lot of them in with my publicity business uh, and talk to a lot of them with my journalism um, hat on but uh, no there's a real um, I think they feel beaten completely demoralized you know I, I talked to um, to Lachlan Bryan the other day who's got a really fabulous new record you know just about to come out and Lachlan was just saying he said we're not even going to try 
and book shows this year because I, I think what's wearing on him and everyone else, Brian, is that constant booking, then cancelling, then rebooking, and, and, and also the fact that, you know, they, they don't know right up until, you know, in some cases the day before, mm. uh, you know, whether the, whether it can go ahead. And I, I also chatted with, um, with Shane Nicholson a couple of days ago, yeah. and Shane's got a, a great new record out, and he said it's completely weird for people like him because he said normally you know i'd be rehearsing a band i maybe would have played a couple of gigs i'd have a launch gig coming up i'd be on tour i'd be uh, dashing in and out of radio stations talking to people about the record and there's none of that but we both compared notes that and you would know it you know with uh, with triple r and with rhythms i mean the last 12 months has seen an astonishingly high quality and and significant volume of really really great music coming out you know australian music independent australian music and from overseas but as shane was saying the big problem now is how do the artists monetize this how do they you know eat back some of the money that they've spent either on studio costs or just basic living you know how do they sell their cds how do they sell their vinyl how do they sell those t-shirts so no that's um that's that's the thing and i and i i think we've we've hit that point where people i think they've stopped looking for a bit of a light at the tunnel which is which is really sad you know they're really going god this you know there is a sort of prevailing sense that this coronavirus business that we sort of thought was going to last for a year um is now most definitely lasting for two years and quite possibly will extend well into 2022 so no that's you know for Look, people, musicians and artists are, are writing, they're recording, they're producing great stuff. How long that spirit of creativity is going to continue before they, you know, again, feel beaten by everything that's going on in that respect, you know, remains to be seen. But it's, look, it's it's very, very, very tough for, for any of those people. Well, if there is a light at the end of the tunnel, it's probably a train. But look, speaking, speaking of artists making money, at least I can say that I've spent more money than ever buying music on Bandcamp and, and other digital mediums and through uh, mail order, etc. So at least I've tried to do my best to support artists, most of them independent artists. So uh, I guess that's the best thing that people can do. But hey, let's talk about some of that music because speaking of buying music, I've just gone on to Bandcamp and bought something that you have recommended and you're going to talk about, uh, which I'd never heard of. And I tell you what, we get emails, probably hundreds of emails a week about new releases, but I haven't come across this. So I'm fascinated. I, I think you're talking about 10 dubnamic hits. Are we, are we... Yes, definitely. Yeah, look, I, I love this record, Brian, and, and I'm a little surprised uh, it hasn't uh, it hasn't uh, had more exposure. I mean, it's got it's got a fantastic cover, which looks like one of those you know dynamic hits compilations that uh, that are sitting in the, in, in the in all of our record in collection. Bin, in the bargain bin. Yeah, and um, it's a guy called Mick Dick. It, 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 it's only available digitally at the moment. I'm not even sure it's available anywhere other than Bandcamp. But I did hear from him recently saying that it is going to come out on vinyl uh, with an additional track, which which is um, Dub is in the Air, which, of course, is John Paul Young's Love is in the Air. But for people who are wondering what we're talking about, um, it, it is 
an album of heavy dub reggae versions of classic Australian and New Zealand songs from principally the late 1960s, early 1970s. So there is a version of Daddy Cool's Come Back Again, which of course now is dubbed back again. Matter Lake, a treated 12 pound toothpaste, toothbrush, I should say, <laughs> becomes 12 pound dub. I don't think I need to tell you what is going on with most people I know think I'm dub crazy. <laughs> Richard Clapton gets a Guernsey with dub on the avenue. Uh, even the lardy does. Gonna dub my baby tonight. Skyhooks with Carlton dub. Chain with uh, black and dub. Oh, I won't continue except to say that um, yeah, there's black feather there with seasons of dub. But the thing is, Brian, I mean, it, it's a lot. I, I listen to a lot of, of dub and, and reggae. It's something that I find great to write to. Mm-hmm. There ain't no lyrics to distract you. But uh, this Mick Dick has done, he's done, it's not a joke for him. I mean, he, he's very, very serious about it. And he's done a really, it, it never becomes chintzy. It never becomes something where you think, oh, this is a bit of a, a novelty. Uh, yeah. It's just uh, really, really well done. Uh, I, I love it. I'll be curious to see what you think of it. Well, I'm looking forward to very much to listening to it. On the other hand, Stuart, I just received in the mail yesterday the box set of All Things Must Pass, the 50th anniversary edition, which I noticed about six or so months late. Oh, actually more than that. It's probably about nine months late. But nevertheless, it's here. And I got the five CD and one DVD version. I was a li- I, I panicked the other day because I looked online at the site, George Harrison's uh, site, where they had the uh, merchandise, and I noticed there was a $999 US version. And I thought, oh my God, I hope I didn't order that by mistake. <laughs> but I didn't. I got the more cheaper version somewhere around the $130 Australian mark. And uh, I, I've had a listen to a little bit of it. It's got demos and outtakes and uh, as I said the original album is in there on two CDs and then the DVD a Blu-ray because it's an album that well it was the first solo album by a Beatle and uh, I've always it's always been one of my favourites and uh, Harrison was an extraordinary talent and it was uh, great to hear him record this and uh, really looking forward to going deeper into it and finding out what was going on on some of the outtakes etc of course around that time also he did a little bit of recording with Bob Dylan we heard a few those tracks as well recently so that's what i've got in the mail this week yes it's it's a big box set i mean i think there's one version that i did see the the, the five vinyl um edition goes for about 450 bucks so it, it uh it comes yeah. in all these different Pretty different packages yeah well i've got I, i've I, got I, the small i've got the small compact uh version so it is a smaller box which is much easier to handle and uh obviously one of the cheaper versions but i think it's going to you know it'll take me a while to get through it so i'm looking forward to it yeah the 70 songs on it i've i've had a listen through to to some of the uh the you know outtakes and dem- you know because people of course are going oh some of these demo versions of you know or first takes mm. are better than the actual songs that were included on the album and i look at I always have this thing with these box sets, Brian, you know, I mean, part of me is fascinated and then part of me goes, you know what, I'm going to, because, you know, I got, I got the uh, the deja vu, the Crosby, yeah. Stills, Nash and Young extravaganza too. And, and you just sort of go, 
Mm, yeah, there was. Was there a reason why these songs weren't released at the time? How I guess for me, it's like how many times am I going to go back and listen to them? But I guess look, it just depends on your your level of fascination. Dare I use the word obsession uh, with particular records you know and you and you go oh yeah i don't know there's there's a beach boys one coming out which covers you know the beat of the beach boys in the in the 1970s and i aren't we aren't we due um the bob dylan bootleg series number 875 yeah well the problem (laughs) i have yeah the problem i have with some of the dylan ones um is that you know sometimes you don't really need to hear five or six different versions of the one song do you know what i mean like you you know one or one or two maybe but five or six i don't think so no my favorite of those box sets and before you ask no i don't own it was the was it was it the stooges was it raw power or one of the 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 first stooges records and um the original album i think goes 32 minutes and uh, and rhino managed to get it extended out to about a six volume cd set with about 26 versions of every song on it uh, and, and look there are there are people that swear that these things are are important i mean i once had a conversation with david frick from rolling stone when the first of the, the grateful dead box sets yeah. the mega box sets yeah. came out and there was a, a 60 cd box set devoted only to shows they did in the uk and europe in 1972 and i thought about buying it and um at the time you know, and i looked at the postage that's what persuaded me not to get it but i, I remember saying to, to david frick who he was a deadhead as well and i said i said god would you ever listen to 60 grateful dead concerts from europe 1972 and he looked like like it looked at me like he was about to expel me from the club you know he just looked down and he said of course <laughs> so uh, it just depends Juanita is on the line hello hi hi Juanita it's uh it's Stuart here and, and Brian here how are you uh yeah well as can be expected are you in Sydney no, no, I'm in I'm Brisbane. All oh, right, okay. Well, I was uh, looking forward to seeing your the documentary about you, but um, I haven't been able to get to the cinema at MIF, the Melbourne International Film Festival. I hope they're going to put it online at some stage. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what's happening with it all. It's, um, yeah, I mean, just uh, I, I won't go there with my opinions on the whole approach to everything that's happening, but it's all good. A part of lateral thinking is um, without having substantiation for your claims, but you just know stuff. So, Anita, how, how do you feel about the documentary? Are you are you, are you happy with how it how it turned out? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. Um, Maddie done a great job. Certainly done a great job. Um, yeah, over, it gives an overall representation of myself during a certain period of my life, not my entire life. It was very confronting, you know, just to see a document um, on a portion of your life which um, absolutely reaffirms. You know where you've where you've either failed or progressed in life. Um. Uh. Yeah. Maddie Walker did a great great job of uh, giving an overall representation of myself. You know. Uh, and we, we were you nervous going into it? I mean, it's 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 something. It's a significant thing to to embark on. You know, giving people that sort of access to your to your life. Uh, I wasn't nervous. I, I'm 
just with a lot of misrepresentation and, um, you know, throughout my life being misunderstood somewhat, um, I was just relieved that um, people may get, may get at the time, uh, which has been now confirmed, um, a reasonable, a reasonably accurate representation of who I am, how I am, and, you know, um, yeah, just an honest represent, uh, the true story or a portion of it, you know, it's a very small portion of it. They, um, people have got to realise the movie was faced mainly in festive mode when there's lots happening in festivals and things like that and it was filmed over you know different periods um during festive mode so what part of what portion of your life does it show what does it show in the documentary what, what part of your um life what it about? shows uh probably you know someone that's just sat on the fringe of it all um and um and you know uh has struggled all their life to get to nashville well that's not true because i could have went to nashville at any, any given time but there was a lot of distractions um which i may have created for myself but i i looked after a lot of people I had lots of people I was under the table looking after so um it what it sort of wasn't like this final eight you know this renegade aging country singer fulfilling her dreams of getting to Nashville like you know um as if it was her last chance it wasn't that but it's it was made to sort of look like that and which which creates a great compelling story of course um and all those messages within the film you know are pretty accurate even if the sequence is you know formulated for dialogue sorry what was the initial question? What would you say then? I was asking what portion of your life it did show. So, yeah, oh, I... just a, oh, a few snippets um, from early childhood. There's all, you know all that stuff at the start. Um, just giving a bit of a background to myself, but um, and then uh, primarily just uh, the journey of getting to Nashville. You know, the final the final sequence of um, you know the weeks, you know the weeks or a week or something leading up to getting on the plane, going to Nashville, and and completing the mission, so to speak. Can you you tell us what that experience was like going to Nashville did you also go to New Orleans and Memphis as well yeah absolutely yeah it was um realizing realizing a dream beyond a dream I mean all of those um those three experiences that you've just um made reference to could be you know a separate dream for New Orleans a separate dream for Sun Studios and and Nashville so three dreams come true at once but the thing that I loved out of that um more than fulfilling a dream uh, is I honestly was worried that um because there's so many great singers and songwriters all over the world and particularly in country music in America you know um and um to to get to Nashville I still was worried right up until going into the vocal booth that, that they may just think I'm you know a hillbilly an amateur or something um but when I could see in their eyes genuine reverence for what I was doing and and respect and um you know yeah mutual respect for what I was doing um yeah they digged it they digged it that that was like wow I, I got all the confirmation I needed you know whilst in the process of living a dream you know I assume you went to did you go to Graceland no no never got there no no went to this cafe where Elvis Presley used to sit in the back pew at this cafe I, yeah. just the name evades me at the moment the arcade, and I, just, I walked straight in and uh just sat apparently where he used to sit right near the back door so that um he used to sit there apparently to be able to make a hasty exit if he was inundated and the the, the lovely ladies that were serving uh, said that that's Elvis's chair and um it was someone's birthday and I stood up and sang him an Elvis song and, and the whole place erupted into a pause so that was pretty cool and a good a good recording process Juanita I mean you you, you enjoyed the whole experience of, of making this record uh what uh, as in the record there or the film sorry 
Well, oh, the the record, the record. Oh yeah, absolutely. The 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 record at um Nashville, yeah, it just went off without a hitch. I think I did six or seven one takes on the first day, and we had all this uh, studio time left over the next day. And uh, Billy Yates said I was um so consistent, and he gave me some other big praises like you know I don't know how good I am and stuff like that. That's all in the movie, you know, which was great. As I was saying, to get that that sort of compliments um when I went in there thinking oh shit they're gonna think I'm some bloody um you know hick and because I, I can't read or write music and... talk about where you, where did you record it in nashville and yeah larry baird studios yeah. um uh, with larry baird and billy yates and billy yates is the beautiful gentleman that wrote wrote choices for george jones and uh you know in the studio all around the walls his pictures of willie nelson dolly parton loretta lynn charlie pride um he was actually recording charlie pride i think uh yeah the week after us he was in his 80s then and uh as a result of him being there in town, we got to see him at the Grand Ole Opry after our recording session. I assume they were all local musicians playing with you. I assume also. I don't know for certain, but, yeah, um, uh, yeah I'd say there'd be uh, an overabundance of great musos in um, Nashville to choose from. And, <laughs> you know, um, Billy Yates and Larry Baird had certainly have their contacts. The thing that struck me when I was uh, when I've been to Nashville is, even the, the musos who are playing in bands in the bars, you know, in cover bands, are incredibly good. The, the standard of musicianship is amazing there. Oh, just everyone's, you know, so pristine. And, um, you know, I was, I was told by a lovely musician, a lovely guitar player here recently in um, Brisbane, um, he, he's been to the States a few times, and, and it's bloody true. They, they all practice to a fucking metronome, you know, like that's how they do it. They just, you know, to to a metronome oh, i couldn't do that that'd do me head in but um they do it you know they're, they're just so precise they know their shit and Juanita, had had you been to nashville um previously or was this your your first no experience? this was my first time yep my first wow. time absolutely yep and, yep. and what was it like setting foot in Nashville for the first time? Because obviously we we see the movies, we have, you know, we've heard the music for... Well, I was relieved. Time. I was relieved because I thought Nashville would have lost its root scene. Um, it would have... Uh, I thought it had, um, was a lot more country pop orientated. I, I was relieved to see that there was still great traditional rockabilly, rock and roll country music that I'd call country music, not knocking country pop. But, but it's not fucking country music, you know. Um, it's it's um, it should be just called something else. So people that are, are purists don't have to compete with that, as George Jones and Willie Nelson and all them have said, because uh, it's a whole separate style of music. So I was, sorry, in answer to your question, I was relieved that um, there was still some raw, pure integral country music in my opinion my opinion only in nashville you know because i I, i've just been told or you know got the um impression that it wasn't like that and and before you you, you'd worked out all the songs before you went to nashville i mean you've you've got people on this record like you know alan caswell uh you know writing songs and you've co-written songs and things like that was no i hadn't actually sorry to interrupt you there but, but just on one of those points i on the actual um on the album, on this particular album, uh, I hadn't co-wrote any of the songs. Alan wrote two wonderful numbers, and Scott Blackley wrote a number. And uh, I just sent them. I, I sent them. Uh, I think it was someone sent them. You know, a disc, just rudimentarily. You know, just a disc because I don't know anything about technology. Uh, of me just playing acoustically in the studio. I don't know. Was, there was thirty-something songs of different writers, and um, including myself. 
and um, uh, Billy Yates and Larry Baird just got a choice and, and they weren't informed apparently of who wrote what. They chose nine of my songs, two of um, Alan Caswell's and uh, one of Scott Blackley's, yeah, great songs that they've written, you know. So, I mean, I could have um, had just all mine on the album, but I'm not not about blowing your trumpet. I'm about the fucking integrity. So if someone's better than me or I think the song's better, doesn't matter if I've written it or who's written it, I don't give a shit. It, it, it's integral. It goes on the album, you know. Mm. Um, I don't care who does what. And has it been... Um, frustrating for you whenever you you know you the the records out the films out and then suddenly COVID descends again on top of us and yeah, you're, you're um, one of many people that's had to reschedule everything. Yeah, well, I've just resigned myself. Um, I thought all my life, and I've been reflecting a lot recently, and it, it's coming up to the one year anniversary of my husband's death, and I've just been really reflecting. And and you know, I know why I haven't made it till now, sort of thing. Or, uh, but then you know, because of my character. And because uh, in, you know, in the past, I don't do it now, uh, my binge shrinking and things like that to bloody cope. Because I've seen throughout my life, um, okay, thinking laterally and the way other people would think, although I'm different, I I do know what is normal. And I do know what is other, you know, I do have a general consensus of how other people think. And um, I believe, you know, my character and, you know, having a rock persona, as a country singer in a very fucking conservative country like Australia, like how I even got here. Well, we all know how I got here. <laughs> um, but or And in this era, um, just absolutely, that, that in itself is fucked up. And then I've been reflecting on and being a bit hard on myself as to, well, if I was so bloody intelligent as people insinuate, I, I could have um, made it long before now. But with that reflection, several things come to mind um, uh, where just something out of the blue, out of my control comes along and just totally fucks it. And in this case, with the almost guarantee of stardom or success rather, this COVID thing has uh, made me be less hard on myself because irrespective of what I've done and particularly doing now everything right except for swearing on podcasts, um, something will just fucking come out of the blue and and just squash it. So some people are meant to make it, some people aren't, and perhaps I'm not meant to. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know where, you know. I just read a, a story about a singer who made his first album at the age of eighty-three. So uh, you're yeah. probably you're probably ahead of him, but yeah, but I've got to live that long. <laughs> yeah. a, lot of, a lot of well-known country music singers in America didn't have normal lives by any stretch. Of the I, sh- I could go back to being a hooker and go to Thailand and get a thirty thousand dollar facelift. I'm fifty. I'm not too bad, am I? I look after my skin, and you know, and when I'm not being naughty, I. I drink lots of water and spray <laughs> Nicobate spray, like, yeah, a plug for Nicorette um, uh, rather than smoke cigarettes. Hey, well, thanks for talking to us. Not and, a problem. Uh, looking forward to the film. Have you ha- Has it been shown anywhere yet? I, I know it's show- supposed to be showing at Uh Winton, I know that yeah. for certain because I was there. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and apparently a couple of rural places in Victoria. Um, uh, uh, the, the major screenings um, in, uh, you know, in uh, Melbourne, were cancelled. And what's the response um, I, been like so far? Have you had any response to it? The audience. Oh, uh, yeah. The the few the few I suppose that have managed to see it. Um, you know, uh, very complimentary to me about how I'm an inspiration and um, you know, uh, yeah, the how they're inspired by me, my resilience and and um and how well the film's put together 
you know, all the people that worked on it, um, Claire, Carolina Science and Matthew Walker and just, um, yeah, it's all been complimentary, you know. Um, I, I thought I'd cop a bit of stick, stick, get it, like, uh, about the <laughs> sex work stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, previously stick, yeah. Um, but, uh, no, everyone's been very respectful and, if anything, just curious. I'm curious about that part of my life, um, previous part of my life. And, um, and yeah, everyone's been respectful and just curious. So I've, I've, I've just heard a few comments, not, not many really. Um, I don't think many people have really had the chance to see it, you know. It was it was shown in Canada, wasn't it, Juanita? At the oh, Toronto yeah, I forgot about that. Sorry, yeah, hot dogs. Um, a, a lot of people saw it online. Um, mm -hmm. uh, with that one, yeah, and uh, there was a, a couple of amazing interviews. Um, uh, with some magazines and you know, um, newspapers and that. I think um, you know, film mags and that that resulted resulted uh, of it being in hot dogs, which is pretty prestigious, one of the world's largest documentary festivals, I believe. Well, well, listen, thanks for talking to us. and um, Oh, thank all, you, Brian. All, thank all you. The, all the best uh, for the uh, future and look forward to seeing that uh, the uh, documentary very shortly, I hope. Thank you, Brian. Thank, thank you so much. Okay. Bye -bye. Thanks, Juanita. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Juanita. I'm Juanita, which also happens to be the name of the documentary about her. I hope you enjoyed the discussion that Stuart Coop and myself had with Juanita. We'll have another Rhythms podcast for you next week. Don't forget you can check out the magazine at rhythms.com.au and the September-October edition will be out shortly with that track available exclusively on a download card for subscribers. In fact, that track and lots of other tracks and you can only get that if you are a subscriber. So if you hit the link subscribe on the rhythms page you'll be able to do that thanks for joining me i'll talk to you next week on the rhythms podcast